I didn't like technology so much, I'd hate it. You know what? I've been... I'm like, man, I re this computer I'm on, it needs, like, a slight overhaul. Mm. But because they never use it, I literally only use my laptop. And the laptop, sits, after, like, an hour or two, gets a little hot. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, you can see the game starts stuttering a little bit. So, well, and if you do anything to this, you're going to need new motherboard. You're going to need new processor yeah. for sure. And that's pretty much three-fifths of a new <laughs> computer anyway. Well, that's what I mean. I basically need everything minus the graphics card. Yeah. What and are you running on that 1070? Yeah. Is that it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's you got to get one of them 3370s. <laughs> I'm not like your old roommate. I'm not that psycho, man. I can't, they're, they're I can't not, do it. They're the just the newest card. They're mm. not the most expensive ones. They're like the, the 970s of my day. That's Ooh. what I That's what I can compare it to price wise yeah they're like really? 300 400 bucks or something okay. but because of the mining and all that it's almost impossible to uh get one get your hands on any you know what is funny there's a twitch stream that just refreshes every major electronics retailers uh stock and it keeps uh, constantly out of stock out <laughs> of stock out of stock you know what's funny actually so bianca had like this tiktok of this guy who had like this insane like computer setup and everything I'm like, yeah, that's cool, but that guy, I guarantee, blew at least twenty grand yeah. on that shit. And yeah. she, she's like, that much? I'm like, yeah, that shit is fucking expensive for all that horse shit he's got on there. Car guys have car uh -huh. shit, and computer guys have computer shit. Mm. That's just how she goes. It's, what it's it, an expensive hobby. What does a frugal man like myself have, Adam? What do you have? Well, <laughs> I have a laptop in World of Warcraft and yeah. streaming apps with horror movies. And you make do. <laughs> that's At all I need. At some point, you were hooking your fucking laptop up to your computer to uh -huh. watch movies like a psychopath. Uh-huh. That's no good. But we got you all straightened out with a little C-cast. I, I have... Oh, yeah, that's right. I, I forgot. I bought another one of those. Because I'm so tired of the fucking PlayStation always freezing up. Mm -hmm. Did yours do that? Mm -hmm. God, that was so annoying. I don't even know why. And you like look it up and like nobody knows why it does it. Just like you're just literally watching a movie on Netflix and all of a sudden the stupid little spiral comes up. And it always gets stuck at like 26% and then uh -huh. it just stays there forever. Mm. Well, no, mine would just straight up you had to power the whole unit off. Uh-huh, yeah. Yeah, that, yeah. What? What is that? I, Come on, PlayStation. terrible. It's absolutely terrible. But you, you know what's not terrible? What's that? Hello, everybody. Welcome <laughs> to another episode of the Bumblebutt Podcast, the only podcast on the internet that uploads weekly. Who knows what it'll be about? Certainly not me. My name is Adam. Sitting across from me, as ever, Cody. Hello, Adam. How, How was you? your week? It was one of those weeks. So this week at work, I was the first time I've ever done I was in charge of, like, sanitizing the whole building. Whoa. Yeah, it's a Don't they have a crew for that? No, well we you have to do it every 2 hours. Oh. So, I it's like every 2 hours I had to walk around and like every single door handle, every sin, single handle everywhere anybody touches the bathrooms. Yeah, it's a well, good job. It's uh yeah. They it, I got to be thankful. But you they pulled don't that fuck straw, around. Huh? Yeah, every six weeks I think we all have to do it. Ooh. And that's are you off of your other duties? And you're just yeah, doing that just for a that. week? That's my one responsibility. Uh, I did hear today, literally today, good news, that the vaccine is showing that you won't transmit. So that's an excellent thing. So maybe 
Uh, if we get enough people vaccinated, we'll we'll be back to normal. The Johnson and Johnson one? Uh, I don't know. Okay. They just said that the vaccines are showing that you won't transmit it. Wonderful. Which is uh, like what is like the ideal scenario. Yeah. Well, and the problem is people hear that and they think that's the downslope, but you have to get to that point. We're still climbing to that point. You mm-hmm. have to get to the downslope first. There has to be more people inoculated than not inoculated. It's, uh, well, let's see. They're up to a little over 10% of the U.S. population. So we're well, slowly getting, and if the ne- the new one's a single shot. Yep. Um, that's good. I think like 80% of old people have gotten it. So that's really good. Perfect. That's really yep. good. Hell yeah. I'll granny. take mine whenever, whenever <laughs> you can get it. Yeah. She got the one series Johnson and Johnson, the one shot. Who did? Granny. Did oh, she? Yeah. Hell yeah. Go granny. Mm. Uh, so yeah, you're, you're May 1st. All adults will be eligible all to right. get their shots. So all you're right. good to go. April, May, that's, you know, month yeah. and a half away, month and a half. Yeah. It might not even be that long. I think my mom is on the docket to get her soon that's not well, bad not, not bad, bad. No. And, and that's iowa the most fucked up stupid state in the union good well that you gotta <laughs> you gotta inoculate the idiots first because they're the ones that'll run rampant with it but not that uh, your family is but the the majority of ruralites and city it's the same mm. are all idiots i would love to talk to the amish community about it. i wonder what they think about it well i'll go there myself <laughs> and microchip them all right, let's uh, let's get down to business. Let's All right? do it. Today, we're going to be talking about Gerald and Charlene Gallego. Mm, okay, interesting names. Yeah. I don't want to say too much about it because it's all going to unfold before your eyes. As, okay, uh, as... can I ask one question? Uh? Do they go by Jerry and Sherry? They go by Jerry. <laughs> Gerald goes by Jerry quite often, but okay. Charlene is pretty much Charlene the whole time. You know how annoying they could be. Jerry and Sherry. Mm-hmm. I'm sure their fucking friends called them that behind their backs. <laughs> Before we get started, Kelly, mm. the monster, Hell the yeah. moose god, has come back with uh, <laughs> even more godlike information that I can just I could just sew right into my own narrative. Hell here. yeah. California residents may agree that if you want a taste of all the homegrown culture Kelly has to offer, Sacramento is the place to be. It sits like a nexus between the hustle and bustle of the Bay Area, the picturesque and rugged Sierra Nevada, and the gambler's havens of Lake Tahoe and Reno. During the 80s, Sacramento was able to retain their city's heritage while also building up towards their inevitable urban sprawl of a future. Okay, do you think they'd still say Sacramento, huh? Sacktown. You think so? I figured they'd move on, uh, I don't know, L.A., Kind of a brown Well, Sacramento nosy. sits as, like like I wrote, as a nexus, mm. like in between SoCal and NoCal, and you get a piece of everything. Right. Okay. All right. Arden Fair's shopping center was the example of this modernizing middle-class movement in Sacramento. They had the hottest stores, restaurants, arcades, and affordable nuclear family housing was developing alongside the mall. Mm. On November 2nd, 1980, a fraternity party was being held at the Carousel Restaurant in the shopping center by Sigma Phi Epsilon, who attended the California State University, Sacramento. Among those attending were two seniors named Craig Miller, age 22, and Mary Beth Sowers, 21. The hot young couple were set to be married on New Year's Eve. Mm, that was a nice, little cliche. 
That's her cute. favorite day of the year, it said. No. Yeah, yeah, she said she loves it. Beyond. What is She's like a basic, but super hot. <laughs> what is there to be to get excited about New Year's? I don't know. Everyone does the same thing. Yeah. You know, uh gyms fill up for two weeks. If I ever have to hear, I'll see you next year. Ooh. One more time. My suicide is imminent. Ooh, that I was, hate that fucking ooh, thing. That was the old uh Right before winter break, we would hear that in school all the time. Mm. I'll see you guys next year. Somebody, somebody needs to tell people, like, stop it. Yeah. Or, I literally. I, or jump off a bridge. <laughs> at, my, at my new job, I'm like, nobody say that fucking sentence, please, oh. for the love of God. Oh, give me a break. <laughs> Mary Beth was drop dead gorgeous with the one two combo of being the realest person you could ever talk to. She was a true unicorn. And when she spoke, she commanded the room. According to one of her sorority sisters, You've got more than just words when Mary talked. You got her true feelings and thoughts. So she was, she would give you, she had that Bill Clinton energy, <laughs> where if she locked onto you, she made you feel wanted. She made you feel important. The original Razorback boy, that was, uh, she was just like Bill Clinton, huh? That's one of his charms, apparently, is that he basically hypnotizes you. By giving you full attention and making you feel so fucking important. Because he's a reptilian. Yes, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mary Beth graduated high school in 1978 and attended junior college in Reading. There, she won runner-up for Miss Shasta County. In her junior year, she transferred to CSU to pursue her finance major. Even though she was a full-time student, she worked every weekend at JCPenney and every weekday at Arco Financial Services in order to support herself. Oh, so this boomer here actually did work two jobs when when they were younger. Yeah. Um. So that that's great. Uh. Yeah. Shasta County. <laughs> when I heard that, I'm I'm sorry. I'm just I envision her coming on a giant can of Shasta Cola. Oh, that's all I could think at the I, same it's all, time. God damn, is that Walmart? Uh, what Was Shasta Walmart? Or, I don't think so. That? <laughs> that's all I can think about. Yeah, well, that, I know I would get it at Walmart, but I don't know if they produced it. Uh, you know why it sticks on my mind is because old my old granny, uh, she would stockpile like Shasta sodas when they're on clearance or whatever, and sometimes you'd taste one that was a little bit expired. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it had a funky, Ooh, weird... a little separation. Mm, a little chalkiness yeah, to it. That's, yeah, that's all, like, the sugars and stuff separating from the water. <laughs> that's It happens. I've, I've, I've you know, uh, grown up in a Pepsi-Cola family <laughs> my entire life. Uh, we... I remember a few times pulling a can of pop out of the back of the basement going, I don't remember this can design. <laughs> just like finding it behind a wall and just like, like that's should, no good. You literally should be finding that in a time capsule and yes. you just consumed it. Yes. <laughs> I'm surprised it wasn't like a bottle of Crystal Pepsi or something. <laughs> Mary Beth began dating Craig Miller in late fall of 1979. And according to her friends... It's so hard to find two people so alike in a relationship, so dynamic, outgoing, and personable. That's hot. The couple won most likely to succeed. Ooh. Yeah, I don't know if you want that because people who win that never live up to the, the amount of pressure they're being put under. Oh, certainly not. <laughs> you can't live up to those no, standards. No, that's a hard motherfucking... Like, what were you voted? Most... <laughs> I wasn't voted anything. Okay. I'll just edit in there. Okay. The son of a Pacific Telephone Company executive, Craig Miller was a promising business student, also studying at Sacramento State University. 
He was vice president of the Sigma Phi Epsilon fraternity and was voted man of the year by his fraternity Mm. the year before. He was described as an excellent level-headed honor student who made the dean's list and was working at a Sacramento advertising agency while he was finishing up his studies. He's a real uh, go-getter, huh? I think he's the man of the man. I think he is so cool. Okay. All right. So he, future president vibes going on here, huh? Yeah. Skull and bones, skull and crossbones. No, is it skull and bones? Yeah, it's skull and bones. Yeah. I wonder if uh, this college had one of those. Was George Bush? He was skull and bones, right? Oh yeah, Yeah. all of them. All of them. John Edwards probably. John Edwards, the psychic. Yeah. <laughs> well, he couldn't go in there because all the skulls would be talking to him. John, he couldn't go in there. John Kerry, I bet. <laughs> okay, yeah, he is in that ugly son of a bitch. Ugh. On the night of the Sigma Phi Epsilon function, the couple arrived fashionably late, deciding on some quiet alone time instead of the three-hour open bar happy hour that would precede the event. That didn't mean they weren't there to party. Apparently, as soon as the two were spotted by other partygoers, Mary Beth was surrounded by no less than five women talking away excitedly. Ooh, okay. Craig and Mary got their party on for about two hours before deciding to call it a night. Just after midnight, they left the Carousel Restaurant, where they were noticed by a frat brother getting into the backseat of an Oldsmobile instead of Mary Beth's Honda. The frat brother talked to the male driver and female passenger for just a moment before the old started rolling off into the darkness with Craig and Mary Beth in the back seat, never to be seen again. That's why I don't trust those mobiles right here. <sighs> Even though they are the most reliable <laughs> sons of bitches that's ever been on the goddamn every time road. I, every time I hear Oldsmobiles, I don't, all I can think about is my mom with her fucking like head or uh, headers leaking, and you'd hear. And she drove really slow, so it was like you could hear that slow wind up into that loud-ass fucking exhaust coming off of it. Like, do you have a turbo, Ma? Yeah, and you could see the smoke bellowing out the windows from her her GPCs. Fuck yeah. She's gangster. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Thankfully, that frat brother took down the license plate. Because it just didn't sit right with him that Craig and Mary Beth would take off with strangers in the early morning hours and just abandon her Honda at the mall. When the pair didn't return for the car by the following afternoon, the frat brother reported them missing. You don't want... I've always thought it was weird when people have, like, the ability to do that. Remember license plate Mm. number? Dude, when I get too many numbers and letters in my head, it's like... I it's literally they're all jumbled up. I would tell them somebody else's license plate for sure. Especially when you are, what was I about to say? <laughs> oh, especially when you have a huge adrenaline dump going on because you, if you're trying to have to remember a license plate mm. and you're like freaking out because something's not right, that's only gonna make dyslexia worse. Mm-hmm. That afternoon, Craig Miller's body was discovered beside a gravel road 20 miles from Placerville in El Dorado County, California. He had been shot three times at point blank, once above the right ear, once at the base of the neck, and once through the right cheekbone. Mary Beth was still missing at this time. Ah, uh, Jesus! This seems like a fucking execution or something. Holy hell! Is uh, have you ever noticed like all these shootings from like the seventies are always like by the ear? Oh yeah. Does that like, yeah? How Dude, they... remember uh, episode one was an ear shot. Yeah, yeah. It, were they just training people? 
like you went to a gun safety course, like make sure you shoot him behind the right ear. Well, that's the off button, though. That's like the <laughs> the the corpus callosi or whatever. If you sever oh, that, you there, you're the... going to bed. Okay, you're, well, you're dead. You, you it'd be a good nap, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> the license plate on the olds came back as belonging to one Charlene Williams, and detectives drove to the address associated with the name. Answering the door were Charles and Mercedes Williams in Arden Park. The parents informed them that the Cutlass belonged to their daughter, Charlene, and she had left their home in the Oldsmobile around 6.30 p.m. Saturday to go see a movie with her boyfriend, Stephen Robert Fail. During this talk, the very Cutlass drove up with Charlene behind the wheel. 24 years old, blonde, pretty, petite, and seven months pregnant, Charlene Williams clambered out of the car and joined in on the conversation. She denied any knowledge of the whereabouts of Sowers or Miller and allowed detectives to search her car. They found nothing incriminating. I, I just envision her getting out of the car, smoking a cigarette, and like spilling her fucking <laughs> their tumbler of whiskey all over the fucking front yard. You know they were doing this in the 80s. Listen to this. Charlene looked absolutely ill at this point and blamed it on a combination of pregnancy yeah. and a hangover. The detectives, still unaware the body of Miller had been discovered, agreed to let her sleep it off for a while, and they'd come back to get photos and a proper statement a little later on in return she promised to be far more attentive and cooperative there's nothing worse on this planet than mixing morning sickness and a hangover i can't imagine those little kids those babies in them they just they don't give a fuck no and they don't like being hung over either so if they always say you're eating for two are you drinking you're drinking for, for two? two you're snorting <laughs> for two you're smoking for uh -huh. two you're doing everything for two you're uh double hangover is a hangover. You have a hangover, and the baby has a hangover. That's the worst. <laughs> so he's probably kicking. He remember she's in wild, kicking. wild whites of West Virginia, <laughs> oh, God. where that baby was definitely born fiending for whatever they were smoking <laughs> or uh, snorting. Yeah. <laughs> Things weren't adding up for the Crime Stoppers, and the next day, Charles and Mercedes finally succumbed to police interview and admitted their daughter's husband, Stephen Fail, was an alibi. His actual name was Gerald Gallego, a 34-year-old freak who was wanted for incest and other sex crime-related charges. Roll Tide. <laughs> <laughs> With this information, not only would the Gallegos couple become the chief suspects in the murder of Craig and the disappearance of Mary Beth Sowers, but neighboring Yolo County detectives were also interested in the Gallegos for the murder kidnapping of Virginia Mokel, a local bartender. Oh, okay. So they possibly have an have a, a an MO type, I guess. Oh here. yeah. Oh, we're just getting started. We're huh? just getting started. Ooh. This two parter is gonna burn your house down. Oh, okay. I'm well, excited. hope no, because it's paid <laughs> off, so I won't burn it down. <laughs> By now, the Gallegos had wised up and made haste as far away as possible. On November 5th, 1980, El Dorado County filed charges of kidnapping against Gerald and Charlene. The following day, a federal fugitive warrant of unlawful flight in order to avoid prosecution was filed, which allowed the FBI to get involved. The search would last 12 days before the uneventful capture of the couple by FBI agent on November 17th, 1980 in Omaha, Nebraska. Ooh. They were at a Western Union attempting to pick up money that had been wired to them by Charlene's parents. This arrest would put an end to the 23-month reign of sexually motivated brutality, but this was only the beginning. 
there would still be three more years before anything could be settled. Three years? Holy Jesus. They had a lot of discovery to do. Yeah, yeah. Where the all-American beautiful couple Craig Miller and Mary Beth Sowers made sense when you saw them together, Charlene and Gerald Gallagher were a complete mismatch. Gerald was 5'7", with rugged features, no neck, and deep-set, dark, brooding eyes. So you wouldn't say that's attractive? No. No, okay. Some some girls like the brooding eyes. Well, he looked like <laughs> a man is the thing. It's like a Wolverine, but not Hugh Jackman. I love people without necks. I always wonder, like, they have to shoulder turn. Ah. Uh, like, you know. I'm kind of there myself. I wouldn't, okay, doctors out there, email us how you get a neck brace on someone with no neck. Oh, <laughs> what if you have to stabilize them? And, and they're fucked. Maybe, they're or it's just auto stabilized because they have no neck. Or like, if you were gonna put them on a guillotine, how do you cut their head off? You just cut their shoulders too. You're like cutting them from <laughs> from the back from the mouth. You're like going from the back of the skull to the mouth at that. You point. cut them like you're cutting through fucking cheddar cheese. Oh, that's no good. <laughs> he would part his brown hair to one side and slick back the other. His rounded, large shoulders made him carry himself like a muscular ape. On the other hand, his wife Charlene was a shade under five feet and almost a hundred pounds. Jesus, she must be like wire thin. She was built like a Barbie doll, with her blonde hair, crystal blue eyes, and how absolutely sweet and innocent-seeming she was. She had been married twice before and multiple marriages would be something her and Gerald could bond over as he'd been married five times himself. <laughs> you know what? Um, is she the fifth? She is six. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know what? Sometimes you just got to keep keep trying till you get there, just like a... <laughs> six, well, if you fall off that horse, get on it six yeah. more times. Yeah. yeah, I mean, what's a little divorce here and there? Yeah, no between big deal. friends. Yeah. yeah. God's going to look the other way. Don't worry. Oh, yeah. He'll annul it for you. <laughs> Gerald Armand Gallagher was born on July 17, 1946 in sunny Sacramento to Gerald Albert and Lorraine Gallagher. He hails from a long line of career criminals and rapists on both sides of his family, none more violent and prolific than his own father, Gerald Albert, whom he would never get the chance to meet. You know, you know you're in trouble when you see a family crest and it's just a rapist in one of the Ooh, corners. Yeah. I don't know if a, you want that. A scared-looking woman. Yeah. <laughs> Gerald Sr. was a convicted multiple murderer and was executed in Mississippi Gas Chamber in 1955. His mom, Lorraine, earned money in the world's oldest profession during the 50s and remarried twice after Gerald Sr.'s execution. Mm. Gerald didn't get along with any of his stepfathers, and at nine years old, when his father was executed, he was well on his way to becoming his own brand of psychopath. His criminal record starts at six years old, with his first offenses being running away, burglary, and various undocumented sexual offenses. Ooh. I don't know how you can get, get that started at six. I don't know what you're doing. Undocumented. I don't know. They just didn't keep track of it, I guess. I, I can see you haven't watched enough Mari. Um, oh. where they have like the six, my six year olds pregnant from, I mean, don't they have that on the That's show once? not even possible. <laughs> they, I mean, you have to go through a few changes and I, six is way too. I remember they had like eight or nine year old kids who were like weirdly, grossly sexually active. That's on terrible. Mari, you're disgusting, Mari. You're Mari an exploitative cuck. <laughs> yeah. At 12 years old, Gerald was placed on probation for burglary and committing lewd acts with a six-year-old girl. Ugh. 
This one landed him in a California Youth Authority facility for boys in 1959, and he would be forced to stay there for two years. When he was released in 1961, he hooked up with his half-brother David Hunt, and the two hit the ground running with armed robberies. They would both be back in jail by the end of the year. I'm guessing his time at the California Youth Authority wasn't a positive experience for him. I don't, I don't think remember. he was reformed. No, I, I remember they talked about that before. I don't think... Who went to that in one of the other shows or one of our other episodes? Somebody did, and I cannot... Maybe it was Kemper. I think it was Kemper. Was Kemper. <laughs> yeah, the California Youth Authority didn't do anything for mm. him. Well, any of these like weird youth prisons uh, don't ever seem to actually help him. Uh, it's disturbing. He, to be fair, he sounds like a complete fucking nightmare to deal with yeah. at a young age. Oh, yes, sir. Goddamn. <laughs> After two more years in 1963, Gerald was paroled again, and he enrolled in Sacramento High School. He didn't even make it half a semester before he was failing all of his classes, and his attendance record was about 20%. According to his probation officer, Gerald was a habitual truant with no respect for authority, and he would leave the campus at his own will. His report concluded, His social traits were all listed as failures. He currently typifies a hard-shelled young man who showed no motivation for improvement, resourcefulness, or insight. Well, that's, so, uh, they pretty much hit the nail on the head there. Okay, let's be fair. So he's essentially the real-life version of that one kid from uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Paul Rudd. No, the... Sean Penn's character. Oh, yeah. Like, yes. honestly, this is what he re would be in real life. Yeah. Not just ordering cheese pizzas during yes. class or whatever. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Gerald and his half-brother David kept being pieces of shit and brushing up with the law all the way into adulthood. Their idea of a good night was boosting a car, robbing a liquor store, ditching the car, and then partying with their scumbag friends while bragging about all their crimes. The duo were finally rearrested on October 25th, 1969, red-handed in the middle of a stick-up at a motel in Vacaville, California. The pair, along with another inmate, would escape from the Solano County Jail, but were recaptured in San Francisco <laughs> four days later. Well, see, their jail cells clearly weren't made for someone with no neck. He just oh, kind of like man. squeezed through there. It's like, no, he, he like got his head in there <laughs> and then used it as leverage to pry the jail cell off the... <laughs> his brother picked him up yeah. and like torqued his body and bent the fucking jail bars. <laughs> it's like opening a beer. <laughs> Gallego was given five years to life in state prison. He was able to start his sentence at the Duavel Vocational Institution before quickly being transferred to a state medical facility to undergo treatment for depression. By the time he would meet and woo Charlene, he had no less than 23 arrests on his record. Mm, at least he's got Jordan's number for that. Oh, yeah. The goat. <laughs> the original 23 right Two, here. Three. Gerald. Mm. <laughs> How, do you think he brought that up to, like, like impress her? Or she's like, come on, Charlene, try to, try to chop me in the neck. And she just breaks her hand <laughs> trying. That's not even domestic abuse, Charlene. You did it to yourself. <laughs> By comparison, his wife Charlene led a pretty charmed early life. She grew up about 50 miles from Sacramento in Stockton as the only child to Charles and Mercedes Williams. 
She was spoiled rotten. Whatever she pointed at was usually hers for the taking. This was all thanks to the hard-working, ladder-climbing attitude of her father, Charles, who started as a humble supermarket butcher and rocketed up to a high-level executive at a competing chain with stores all across the country. The family would ultimately move from rural at the time Stockton to the upper-middle-class Arden Park area of Sacramento. Mm, if only you could be a supermarket butcher now and get anywhere. I mean, you're pretty much stuck in that. In that. Well, that's the fallacy of the older generation, the boomers. <laughs> they say that, like, this is possible at all. But you also have to realize he was raising a family with an unemployed wife mm. uh, off a supermarket butcher's salary. Yeah. So he already had a, a 15 legs up on anybody that's a supermarket butcher today. Do you think he, today he spends his time complaining about how lazy the youth is most likely yeah there's no question about it anybody that was able to get that kind of quote-unquote bootstrap success Mm -hmm. which isn't like it's just the times made it easy for you to be able to do that there's uh, all the kids today that are working fucking menial jobs like the ones we have or had those are the same jobs that would support a family of three mm-hmm. off just the father working with two vacations a hey, year. Hey, you know, all the people out there who have to work two jobs to get by, uh, if this was, what, the, the fucking 70s, 70s 80s, you, early 90s? You'd basically be able to be having wine with Bill Gates at this point. You'd like, go, you'd take Uber helicopter everywhere <laughs> you wanted to go. You'd yeah. be fucking loaded. Yeah. <laughs> Charlene was shy and timid in her childhood, never wanting the spotlight on herself, and unlike her future husband, had never been arrested or accused of any crimes. She had an unusually high IQ, which ended her up on the gifted and talented route in school. She was an avid violinist and had aspirations of enrolling in Juilliard's School of Music. (laughs) I can never hear School of Music anymore without seeing that fucking guy. Zac Efron? No, no. The Remember that weird guy yelling at uh, the homeless guy playing the saxophone? I'm a tr- yeah. classically trained trumpetist. I uh, walked on stage with Bob Dylan. Uh, that guy didn't have a neck. So no! Maybe... <laughs> Holy shit. Maybe he's related. Is that David Gerardo? Is You're that a name? nothing. You're a no talent. <laughs> It wasn't until high school when the dark changes came to her mood, personality, habits, and potential. She had a predilection for sex, drugs, and rock and roll. This combo really put a damper on her dreams of higher education. Her grades fell to the point of her having to struggle in order to graduate. Guaranteed this is weed. Probably weed, for yeah, sure. Yeah, for sure. She's the deflated girl from the commercial. Yeah, she's, she's <laughs> melted into the couch, yeah. But still... Daddy would do anything to please his little princess, so after graduation, he bought her a brand new Oldsmobile, put her up in her own apartment, and gave her the funding needed to satisfy her clothes shopping addiction. He even invested $15,000 so Charlene could open a 10 by 12 shop in the mall called The Dingling Shop, (laughs) which sold potted plants, macrame, and other knickknacks. Unfortunately, she got bored with business ownership, and the shop would go under within a year. I mean, okay, let's be... First off, this is the most California shop I've ever heard. Oh, my gosh. Number two, the dingling. I only hear it's that... penis. Yeah, that, I was going to say, if only... Did you had dicks on the wall? Yeah, quit playing with your, your dicks. Quit playing with your dingling <laughs> yeah. is, a, is a phrase I've heard so many times. I mean, could it have originated from maybe they bought one of these little knickknacks... 
and they told a kid, quit playing with your dingling. Oh. And then, you know, drunk dad's like, quit playing with his penis. He's yeah. like, oh, this is my dingling. Yeah, this is my dingling. Damn, we've uncovered what a dingling is. You figured here. it out? <laughs> Aside from his penchant for criminality, Gerald Gallagher could lay the charm down Oof. on the ladies, according to one of his ex-girlfriends. He was the type of guy any woman would want. He may not be good looking, but he knows how to make a woman be like a woman. He has this type of magnetism. I don't believe, maybe. Yeah, I mean. Ladies, do you really find someone with no neck attractive? Come like on. dudes that are, okay, think of it like this. Mm. We came out of the metrosexual era, mm. era, right? Mm-hmm. Where, And then everybody had beards and flannel, right? Mm, still do. Yeah. So this <laughs> is like, this is the opposite of metrosexual. Mm. This Gerald Gallagher, he looks and acts like about the straightest cowboy Clint Eastwood type dude that there ever was, but not handsome. Okay. All right. Well, I guess uh, he had you got swagger. enough charisma. Yeah, yeah. You got enough charisma. Yeah. You can do it. Another ex had this to Ooh. say on the other side of the coin. He was a perverted psychosexual maniac. Being in the bed with him was like being with a rabid Tasmanian devil whose only interests were sodomy, fellatio, and cunnilingus in that order. Wow. Okay. I mean... They're fine. It's just, um, I guess you don't want the perverted psychosexual maniac. Yeah, that's the problem part. Yeah. Anybody can be into sodomy, fellatio, and cunnilingus. (laughs) Fellatio. Fellatio. Why does it always sound like an Italian jello? (laughs) Fellatio. In the dingling shop, they have little uh, single servings of fellatio for sale. (laughs) And they have a bunch of cunnilingus dip over there on the side. Oh, gross. (laughs) (laughs) Ew. Was what she sells in the dingling shop. What are you going to do? The five wives that preceded Charlene quickly became victims of domestic abuse, not only emotionally and with beatings, but also financial. His first marriage happened in 1963. He was just 16, and she was 21. In April 1964, his first child, daughter Krista, was born. The marriage wouldn't last too long, after a few too many beatings culminating with Gerald smashing Oof. her hand in with a hammer, she filed for divorce. Jesus, is this fucking Robert De Niro from Goodfellas? Jesus. Ooh. Or no, no sorry, Casino, Casino. casino. Mm. Oh, God, that's brutal. Oh, and God. when they squish his head. Oh, my God. <laughs> in the vice. Brutal. Yeah. <laughs> and he's, he's done for, but he's, he doesn't know it yet. That's well, the rough part. Here's the thing. You couldn't even get this motherfucker's head in that Mm-mm. thing. You got to have a neck. It and would, you might end up bending it. It would break the vice, yeah. <laughs> the couple would fight to the bitter end for custody of Krista. Ultimately, oh. Gerald won and sent his prize off to live with his mother, no. Lorraine. The second marriage took place in July 1966 to a 24-year-old Sacramento-born-and-bred waitress. It lasted 26 days before Gerald was chasing her around the house with a butcher knife, screaming that he was going to cut her throat. So she filed for divorce. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a a good reason to file for divorce. After 26 days. Uh, You know what? Probably lasts longer than the couple's on 90 Day Fiance, so yeah. that's good. <laughs> we have a scale. You got to last longer than Gerald and the 24-year-old Sacramento lady. Yeah. If you can make it this far, this is going to be a successful marriage. You guys are in there like swimwear. <laughs> the third marriage started on October 17th, 1967 to a laundry worker. This wife lasted a month before the beatings got too severe for her, and she fled. 
The fourth marriage took place in Reno in March 1969. 19-year-old Harriet was pregnant when the marriage ended once again one month later. Her father, speaking on behalf of his traumatized daughter, had this to say. He was a Jekyll and Hyde. He was such a nice boy when he came around the house. 19 days later, I wanted to shoot him. I kind of want to shoot him already, to be honest. He should be shot. Yeah. As far as it's known, the child of Henrietta and Gerald still hasn't been told who her real father is. For Gerald's fifth marriage, it was another laundry worker. On October 5th, 1974, the minister performing the ceremony remembered a little girl named Krista who served as the ring bearer. She had been introduced as Gerald's little sister, but was in fact his daughter from his first marriage. I have a feeling I know why he likes laundry workers. Because he likes his collars like extremely starched. He needs so them they're stiff. just not they just stick up. Hide the fact they just have a fucking neck. They can't even tell he has a neck when that thing's starched and just sticking up. So I... he invented the pop collar because he was ashamed of his neck. <laughs> Gerald was also able to convince his parole officer that he was reformed and ready to be a completely free and unhindered mm. man. The P.O. agreed, and on December 12, 1975, Gerald Gallagher was considered rehabilitated and no longer a threat to general society. I don't know if I believe him. In August 1977, Gerald separated from his fifth wife when he met and wooed Charlene, who would be his sixth and final wife. His divorce was still three months away from being official. Well, you can date while you're waiting for your divorce. Yeah. I mean, that's, way, a, but... that's an over-ass relationship. Yeah, so. yeah. Charlene also loved marriage, as we mentioned, and was particularly unsuccessful at it. She started her marrying career on her 18th birthday by marrying a soldier named Rick. Mm. The next day, Rick reported for duty in Germany. While abroad, he wrote his new wife almost daily and never once received a letter in return. He successfully petitioned through his mother an annulment on May 5th, 1975. He had to use mommy to to get a divorce from his new wife. Look, hey, he, thank you, mom. But uh, can you? I feel like Germany would have been real a real scary place, kind of around the because they weren't they. It was still kind of east and west east, and all. Yeah, that. But, I don't, I don't know. But at the same time, uh, there wasn't. We were just there because we had bases there. Mm, okay, these were the conquering heroes. Did I? Talk, My grampy was over there for did, a little bit. Did I talk about uh, the lead singer of Ramstein? Grew up on the eastern side of uh, Germany. No wonder he's so angry yeah. <laughs> and horny <laughs> and very horny. <laughs> In October 1974, Charlene decided to give higher education a shot by enrolling in California State University with a major in psychology. Much like the dingling shop, this flight of fancy lasted a little over a month before she dropped out completely. Mm. If she gets too far into psych, she's going to realize what a fucking nut job her her current boyfriend is. And she is, kind of. (laughs) Her second marriage took place on August 29th, 1976, with a gorgeous ceremony that included over 100 guests at the United Methodist Church in Sacramento. Her groom this time was a 24-year-old veteran named Elliot, whom she had dated off and on since she was a senior in high school. This brief marriage was marred by health issues. Elliot was prone to epileptic seizures, and Charlene suffered from bronchial asthma. Elliot also admitted to substance abuse and accused Charlene of the same, along with being a rampant alcoholic. 
He claimed they smoked PCP occasionally and dropped acid frequently. Yeah, probably not the two things you want to a successful marriage. No. And why is she smoking PCP if she's got bronchitis? Yeah, that's the thing. She loves cocaine, weed, (laughs) PCP. Like... terrible things for you it's not how you cure bronchitis young lady and when you have chronic bronchitis from what i've heard is it will eventually kill you yeah yeah um so you're gonna drown in your own fluids eventually yeah yeah, so yeah you gotta yeah i mean i guess she's has a hangover when she's pregnant from early in the story she probably doesn't care too much yeah also according to elliot charlene once tried to commit suicide by drinking a bottle of pine salt She opened the doggone thing and put her put it up to her lips. If I hadn't knocked the bottle right out of her mouth, she would have drank it. Elliot blamed Charlene's parents for this whole fiasco, claiming they were over-attentive and ruined their marriage. They kept trying to tell me what I could and couldn't do. They kept pushing and pushing and causing all these problems. Yeah, he I mean he you made him sound like a bitch, and he is a bitch. <laughs> like he's a little 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 epileptic bitch. Can you okay, I'm just envisioning that that lady from the pine salt commercial, she like holds it up uh, and just cracks it and just. Oh. <laughs> I can't do this shit anymore. Oh. Pounding the pine salt. Holy cow! And she's like, mm, let yeah, me they fresh. made they made disinfectant and also like wood polish, right? <laughs> I, oh. wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend drinking either of them. That's but. a nightmare. <laughs> nightmare. The marriage officially ended on May twenty fifth, nineteen seventy seven. Four months later, Charlene and Gerald, the dynamic duo, would meet for the first time. California Pride and Prejudice going on right here. California (laughs) is cool for the homeless. (laughs) We're flashing forward, Cody. Okay. In the timeline, we are going back to their capture. The news of the Gallagos capture by FBI agents in Nebraska made headlines for most of the western U.S., It provided a lot of comfort to viewers and readers to know the couple responsible for murdering another couple were behind bars. Little did they know, however, that the murder of Craig Miller and disappearance of Mary Beth Sowers were just the tip. Gerald and Charlene had dark, depraved secrets that would shock the nation and also tie up unsolved disappearances and murders across three states. Let's be fair here. I bet this was the only news that came out of Nebraska in a long time. I can't even imagine. <laughs> like, oh, uh, well, Wichita was mentioned in that one uh, uh, song. <laughs> there was a, there's the, a nerd. The, the Jack Blacks. What are they called? We're going to Wichita. I have no. The Seven Jack Nation Blacks. Army. Oh, uh, the White Stripe. White Stripe. Jack yeah, White. The most racist band alive. Now, um, the, there's a nurse I work with and she went to Nebraska to college, right? Oh, um, Wichita's in Kansas. Okay. <laughs> I'm such an idiot. It's still not very Omaha. exciting. Yeah. And uh, she went to ne- uh, college in Nebraska. I was like, oh, you're Cornhusker. And, of course, it was like some other oh. school I've never heard yeah. of. <laughs> University of bumfuck nowhere. <laughs> Two hours after their arrest in Omaha, Gerald and an eight-month pregnant Charlene appeared before U.S. Judge Richard Peck. He wanted them out of Omaha and extradited directly back to California, but there were formalities and pesky laws that he had to contend with. So he set an extradition hearing for the following day, holding the couple on a $100,000 bail and offering attorneys if they couldn't afford them. You know how much farmland $100,000 is in Nebraska? God that's, damn. That's like 10 square miles. <laughs> that's like 500 cows. <laughs> <laughs> 
The Gallagos were in no hurry to disclose anything they knew about the kidnapping and murder of the all-American couple. Charles and Mercedes Williams had bought them a great lawyer in Nebraska, and he advised them to keep their traps sealed no matter how much the police tried to rile them up during interrogation. At the hearing, the Gallagos waived extradition proceedings straight up and agreed to return to California voluntarily. As of right now, they are being charged with the murder of Craig and kidnapping of Mary Beth. Mm, okay, so I, I almost forgot her dad was uh, a wealthy ex-butcher. That's so right. So he can, and, and he, every good butcher has a good lawyer. So. And she's daddy's little angel. Little princess. So, yeah. I know you killed somebody, but it's mm, okay, honey. I'll mm. take it. I mean, I'm sure he's chopped up a few bodies, you know? Yeah, butchery. It, mm-hmm. You ever seen Eastern Promises? <laughs> yeah, see? Exactly. They need to make money. Uh, what do the kids call it nowadays? That's their side hustle. Oh, yeah. Chopping up bodies yeah. for uh, the mob or whatever. Yeah, that's it's a good way to go about it. <laughs> Maybe we should make an app. Like, so mobsters can get connected with butchers. Like an Uber? Yeah. Or Lyft, but for <laughs> <Yeah>. butchers? <laughs> Find a butcher in your area 24 hours a day. That's for hot butchers in your area. <laughs> hot local butchers. <laughs> butchersonly.com. That's what we need, butchersonly.com. Let's get these butchers fucking. <laughs> One shining ray of hope for the couple was the federal charges of unlawful flight to avoid prosecution for murder were dismissed. Officers from El Dorado Sheriff's Department and Sacramento PD were dispatched to bring Gerald and Charlene back from Nebraska. On Saturday, November 22, 1980, two target shooters out in the fields of Placer County found the badly decomposed body of a young woman laying in a ditch. She was wearing a gorgeous purple gown, the same one that was mentioned in Mary Beth's last known appearance. Mm, And the first time it hasn't been a jogger. Or a mushroom hunter. Or a mushroom hunter. Okay, so target shooters, you're on the radar now as well. The target shooters who lived nearby drove directly to Sheriff Nunez's home to report what they'd found. During the autopsy the following day, the victim was ID'd as Mary Beth after studying her dental charts. The autopsy further revealed that she had been shot three times through the head, just like her fiancé, Craig. By the time the couple reached Sacramento a new murder charge had been added, mm. that of Mary Beth. So the three shots is probably their thing, what they do. That seems to be his uh, uh, method, or mm. their method, I should say, yeah. What do you think the dental records guy, like comparing teeth of a dead person to like dent, like Man, it was her gotta, family dentist, too. That's got to be yeah. weird. I couldn't imagine my sweet Dr. Ernst when I was a little kid. Mm. Like taking my dead teeth and just matching them up uh, to the old records there. Yep, I've x-rayed these before. That's Cody. <laughs> I know those goddamn teeth anyway. <laughs> I pulled like half of them, so I know these fucking teeth. <laughs> Let's go back to mid-September 1977 when the star-crossed lovers, Gerald Gallego and Charlene Williams, first laid eyes on each other. Charlene was celebrating her 21st birthday early at the Black Stallion card room a seedy place to play poker, but still absolutely legal and mm. on the up and up. I don't like the name very much, though. It's, uh, it's creepy. racist. It uh, makes me feel inadequate. <laughs> like a big black stallion wiener. <laughs> That's the, the door handles just of horse cock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like in Dante's Inferno. Well, how is it that she's involved with stores with dick references? Like, come on. Yeah. What yeah. are you doing, Charlene? I don't know. Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> And it was a weird place for Charlene to hang out, as she wasn't ever known as a card player. 
but most accounts say she knew a cocaine dealer that was a card shark, so she would drink and dance and party with easy access to cocaine. Yeah, cards and cocaine go go together pretty well. Gerald loved poker, and when he looked across the bar at the birthday girl, he was intensely attracted. Charlene thought he was a clean-cut, attractive, muscular man. And when she talked to him, she found him attentive and slick. I know they won't be able to see this, but I'm going to demonstrate how he looked at her. Yeah. <laughs> he, like, turned her whole body. Like, oh, Hopefully shit, he had a swivel him? chair. How do you, yeah. Okay, when the, you know, like, when guys stare at girls, a girl stare at guys, and they quickly whip their head, he's uh-huh. like... Oh, yeah. He's got to turn the whole chair. Yeah. And then you already know he's looking at you because he's got to turn the whole chair because he can't just turn his head. Any drinks or plates mm. on the table, they just go <laughs> fucking across the room when he turns around. When he asked for her number, she was only too quick to give it to him. And the next day, a dozen red roses showed up Ooh. at her house with a note that read, To a very sweet girl, Jerry. Mm. That's, what a fucking romantic, dude. Mm. Chivalry's not dead, ladies. Not Sorry. with Jerry. <laughs> From there, Charlene fell hard, and Gerald would take full advantage of the freshly 21-year-old. Within a few weeks, he had moved into the duplex she was renting, and of course, the problem started. Gerald was a manipulative... Gerald... <laughs> Gerald was a manipulative, gaslighting con artist. As with all of his other wives and girlfriends, he became domineering and demanding of his new girlfriend. She was to do exactly as instructed, and he became very critical of her personality and mannerisms. Charlene was forced to change her trendy hairstyle and only wear it in bangs or pigtails. And Gerald threw away all of her fancy, expensive clothes. She was now only allowed to wear jeans and t-shirts. So is... You think this is a sexual thing for him? I do. It's a very it's a specific control, sexual specific hairstyle. It's, it's the, pigtails. That's weird. Man. I mean, I know the bangs were probably in at this time, but man, that's very specific. Very specific. He's like trying to build himself a a perfect fuck mate or something. <laughs> Now, Charlene was working at a supermarket, and she started signing her paychecks over to her live-in boyfriend. He would occasionally win some money at the Black Stallion, but more often than not, he would lose hundreds a night. In Charlene's testimony, she said their problems really arose in the bedroom. No matter what she did, he couldn't get an erection around her, and he blamed her for it. Oh, okay. So maybe this is why he only likes... Those three other things. Mm. Cunnilingus, Keanu, fellatio, yeah. and sodomy. And apparently, well, she is- You gotta d- have a hard wiener for sodomy, because that's a little hole. Well, I know, but maybe for him mentally, it's like he can- That's how he take can do it. S- some rapey place, and I I don't know. I don't know, but uh, all I do know is she is a dingling expert, and a flaccid penis is a It falls under her expertise, <laughs> so she should have it figured out by now. If it was just a soft wiener problem, Charlene could probably deal with it. But Gerald had a constantly wandering eye, and he would compare other women to Charlene, always saying how much hotter the other was. He had a rating system, number one girl, number two girl, so on and so forth. She was never good enough to make the top of the list. In fact, Gerald seemed to enjoy putting her near the bottom. But sometimes she could creep up to number two if he was in a particularly good mood. (sighs) What a fucking asshole. Charlene wasn't sure she would ever make it to number one, but she was damn committed to trying. Unlike the two pansies that she had married, Gerald had confidence, poise, and independence. He didn't need his mama to break up with her. 
Charlene wanted to cling on to that as hard as she could. Gerald started pulling away, unsure if this was the path he wanted to go down. He moved out of the duplex for a few weeks in order to do some serious thinking. Unfortunately for Charlene, Jerry came back and decided he needed her. And not only that, he wanted her involved in his twisted sexual fantasies that were guaranteed to make him hard and bring their relationship closer than ever. Ugh. I have, I have this fantasy about having girls who would be there whenever I wanted them and do whatever I told them to. They'd have to be young, ripe for the picking. Ooh, God, that's uncomfortable to say. Yeah, it's brutal. Yikes. Yeah. Okay. Well, God damn it. This guy, he. He's so ugly. How does he have a rating system for her? And then it's just like he has to be the one to decide if he's in it for the long haul or not. Like, I don't know if I'm ready for that level of commitment. Get the fuck out of here, That's Gerald. how he does it. That manipulation mm. that like that you like break them down with fear, intimidation, make them think you're going to walk out all the right. time. Right. Yes, I guess that it's is like a, a classic. Like a beaten dog. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not ready for commitment. Let me keep you at arm's length, yep. but you come back when oh, I need you. At, at a moment's notice. Mm-hmm. You better be here at the drop of a hat. Yikes. Charlene was uncomfortable to say the least and told him in no uncertain terms that those fantasies would have to stay right up in his head as that was fucking crazy. She had no reason to believe he would act on them and saw them simply as a competition for love similar to a guy with a porn addiction. I'm just going to put this out there for all ladies and gentlemen who are listening. Mm. This is a red flag. Mm. This should be... Like a firework launching off of a red flag. You just cleared yeah. a Mario Brothers stage. Yeah. Like, oh my God, get the hell out of there. <laughs> In April of 1978, Charlene and Gerald accompanied her parents to the regional grocers conference Ooh. in Sacramento. There's a lot of fucking and drugs going on there, guaranteed. Ooh, key parties. <laughs> 1978, there was shag carpets and everybody put their keys in a bowl and you fucked whoever keys you what? got. What do you do at a regional grocer's conference? Like, discuss where you're going to stock the milk? I like, think what so. The fuck I think that's exactly on? what it is. Like, <laughs> planograms and different companies bringing out their <laughs> shit. I think we're going to put the macaroons over here this year, and we're going to put the pasta in aisle seven. I don't know, guys. Let's Look at this, this new refrigerated technology. <laughs> like, I bet Ooh. that's all that shit was. There's just like a display, and it's like has little racks with eggs. Uh-huh. Hot Perfectly. technology. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Perfectly mm. cold eggs. <laughs> Charles Williams used his connections in the business to get Gerald a job as a route driver for a meat company. In the meantime, he rented an apartment for himself and his now 14-year-old daughter, Krista. A few days before starting his new job, Krista had a friend named Angie come stay for a few weeks while her parents were away on vacation. Angie would later tell authorities that she was molested twice during her stay. He was beginning to act on his fantasies. God, that's disgusting. Concurrently, Charlene was also expanding her sexual horizons at her duplex. As far back as she could remember, she'd had a fantasy of being raped by another woman, and during the summer of 1978, she acted on it. Out of the blue one day, Gerald stopped by Charlene's apartment after work to find her in bed with another woman, or girl, as she was not quite 18 yet. Raped by another woman? I think that's the first time I've ever heard that. Interesting. Okay, so she... I mean, I don't want to assume, but she might be uh, a lesbian, perhaps. Yeah, I don't think so, no, just, but I think she fantasy? had leanings, yeah. Okay. Gerald flew off the handle. He hated gay people and couldn't understand how two people of the same gender could ever be attracted to each other. 
Guaranteed this guy loves Pagan. I guarantee it. <laughs> you know he does. I guarantee it. His biggest sense of embarrassment was his ED, and to him, this was a grave insult. He should have been more than enough man to please her, and she was seeking it from another woman. Gerald, she has a neck. Of course I'm attracted to her. <laughs> she looks like a human in silhouette. You know what the problem is, Gerald? All the blood that goes to your penis to get it hard is in your neck usually. And you don't have one, Gerald. So I have solved your ED problem. <laughs> By removing you from the equation. <laughs> Gerald started beating the two oh. women while shouting insults and expletives the whole time. Finally, and thankfully, he kicked Charlene's lover out of the apartment before doubling down his rage exclusively on her. On July 17th, 1978, Gerald turned 32 years old and reigned in the new year of his life by sodomizing his daughter, Krista. Ugh. She would later testify that she had been molested by him since she turned six. She also testified that Charlene had been there for some of the molestations, not involved, but in the apartment. Does that mean she was aware it was going on? That I didn't know about. Mm. That I did not know that about. That is disgusting. Charlene will say no. Yeah, I so he took his rage of Charlene cheating on him with a woman out on his daughter kind no, of. No, he f he He's was been doing he was fucking it. his daughter for 8 years at that point. Ugh. God, it's so disgusting. Charlene also found out she was pregnant that month and Gerald was fucking pissed. This threatened his special plans he'd been brewing. He beat her and questioned why the hell she wouldn't have done something to prevent getting pregnant. Of course, he took no responsibility for the contraceptives. By the end of the month, Gerald quit his trucking job under pressure from his boss, and Krista thankfully moved back in with Gerald's mother, Lorraine. God, poor Krista. His sex slave fantasies would turn deadly for the first time on September 11th, 1978. He had been regularly molesting Krista on visits to his mother's house, but it wasn't enough to fulfill his desires. He decided on a plan to use Charlene as bait to trap new sex slaves. Charlene, who was at this point two months pregnant and experiencing extreme morning sickness, was forced to get up and play her part. He didn't care about how sick she was. According to him, the dumb bitch shouldn't have gotten herself pregnant. That's an exact quote, by the way. That is... Uh... Man, this guy is just... A charmer. I mean, at first he is, and that's how that works usually, is yeah. they'll, they'll put their peacock out the best they can, you know, their feathers, mm -hmm. and attract them, and then once they're in your web, you are uh, fucked. Mm. Once that peacock turns around and it doesn't have a neck, then you got a Gerald. Um, you got a Gerald. But, uh, yeah, this is just such classic abuser behavior. My God. She dragged herself out of bed and got dressed. Jerry had a manic look on his face as he loaded his twenty-five caliber pistol at the kitchen table. At this time, Charlene was still convinced the gun would only be used as a scare tactic. Jerry was fucking crazy when he didn't get his way, but he wasn't murderous, she reasoned. She ate some toast to settle her tummy while Gerald went over the mission with her. She felt strange going along on this hunting trip for a sex slave, but in her heart she thought this was bonding, that it would finally make her his number one girl. Either way, she steeled her reserve, and the two were off to put Jerry's plan into action. The pair took the 73 Dodge minivan, co-signed by her daddy. Jerry loved the van for its smooth ride and spacious cargo area, where sometimes he and Charlene would fuck. Look, I have many fantasies about having Phil's sex Astro in van. a... <laughs> having sex in a 73 Dodge minivan. <laughs> now, here's the... 
I forgot about this. Phil wanted me to make a correction. Mm. He did not purchase either of the Astrovans. They were hand-me-down Astrovans. Perf- so. That's kind of what I figured. Okay. Just by happenstance, <laughs> you just end up with cars sometimes, and that's just how, especially as a younger man, you just get whatever car somebody else is trying to get rid of. Do you? Th- how many young kids, like, they finally have enough money to buy a car, and you catch them looking through, like, the classifieds for minivans mm. or Astro. Should you mm. be concerned? We're talking, like, yes. let's say 1920. Yeah. Unless they have a band mm. or, like, dreams of starting a band. Mm. Okay. Otherwise. They are going to kill and yeah. rape. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The two cruised up the Country Club Plaza shopping center. Gerald crept through the parking lot while giving instructions to Charlene. She was to get out and find some sweet new bile girls and get them in the van any ways she could, and he would take over from there. Gerald dropped her off to Scout while he went to the hardware store to pick up supplies. Charlene's plan was to entice the young girl she found back to the van to smoke a joint. She was absentmindedly wandering around the overcrowded mall, almost paralyzed with fear at the job now facing her. Gerald caught up with her from behind and poked her in the side, telling her to hurry the fuck up. Intimidated, not wanting to make Gerald any more angry, she found two teenage girls that looked tailor-made for Jerry's dark fantasy. They were young, pretty, and full of vibrance, just like her and his daughter Krista. These were definitely the ones. She approached and said cheerfully, Hey, you guys want to smoke some pot? The two teens were only too eager to follow her. This was the threshold for Gerald, crossing this line from fantasy to reality, and he got more and more excited the closer the trio got to the van. Rhonda Schaefer, 17, and Kippy Vaught, 16, hopped into the back with smiles on their faces, eager to get a nice afternoon buzz on. But what was facing them was a loaded twenty-five caliber pistol held by a man with wild frenzy in his eyes. Gerald moved like a tactically trained operator as he quickly crouch-walked to secure his new slaves. He bound their hands and feet with duct tape and ordered them to lay face down. Rhonda and Kippy were friends and classmates. Acquaintances of Kippy had told the paper that her high school attendance had been sporadic, but she had re-enrolled with the idea of becoming a counselor for young people. Beverly Burkstresser, one of Kippy's teachers, told the Sacramento Bee that Kippy was headed in the right direction. She came back to school that fall with more motivation. She seemed to have grown up during the summer. She seemed more turned on by school and mentioned that she wanted to go to college. She definitely seemed more motivated. Mm. So that's there you great. go. They were trying to turn themselves around. Okay, that's great. Good job. Good on you, Kippy. Gerald started driving the van to the location he could safely carry out his desires. It was now Charlene's job to keep the girls quiet and docile. Soon the van was speeding down I-80 heading east towards Sierra Nevada. Charlene was sitting on a cooler in shocked silence. She wanted to tell Jerry to just pull over and let these girls out. They'll never tell a soul. But she knew now that his mind was made up. He wasn't about to call it off. She, look, she's got to be, I mean, obviously the kidnapped girls are terrified, but like, God, I, I, I don't know. It's a hard predicament for her to be in. Like how, if you try to help him, I imagine he would shoot you. I don't. I certainly don't, I don't envy know. her. No, this is just a horrible scenario altogether. But she's guilty as well. Absolutely. Not, uh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. The van passed through one small town after another before pulling off at the town of Baxter, 
a sleepy little town that lived in quiet tranquility while still having the big city of Sacramento not even an hour away. Gerald drove the van down a twisting dirt road before pulling over in a copse of trees that he considered the perfect spot to do what had to be done. Mm. Jerry unbound the girls, helped them out of the van, and ordered them to start walking. He led them further into the forest, away from the road, and ordered Charlene to stay with the van. He took with him a sleeping bag, a blanket, and his twenty-five. Charlene waited at the van for hours until finally Gerald emerged from the trees alone. His look at Charlene said, don't even ask, so she didn't. Instead, she listened as he gave her new instructions. She was to drive to Sacramento and get seen by friends and acquaintances who could vouch for her being in the city and then come back to the woods, but this time in the Oldsmobile. Charlene followed orders and drove to a friend's house where she chatted for about an hour before commenting that the van was breaking down and she had to get it back to the house. Instead, she drove home, dropped off the van, got in the Olds, and drove back to Jerry. Temps were rapidly falling, and Charlene was worried that Gerald and the girls were getting cold. She put the pedal to the metal and returned to the hidden spot in the woods, giving the secret signal so Jerry would know it was her. He emerged, shivering and alone, and said, Boy, am I glad to see you. I was freezing my ass off. Fuck him, he should have died. <laughs> Fuck him. Hopefully he did free. Honestly, this reminds me of that scene from, I think it's like the third season of Sopranos, where the two of them get caught out in the woods oh, in the freezing. Yeah. I oh remember gosh, watching that, so and good. it like hurt me watching them be how cold, uh, like how fucking cold they looked. But not uh, only were they lost, they were also like chasing somebody too, right? Uh yeah, yeah, they were, yeah, yeah. It's uh, and he was like pulling the carpet up from the fucking car <laughs> to use it as a blanket. Oh <laughs> god! Oh. But yeah, this is a whole nightmare scenario. And like in your mind, you're like, please, Charlene, tell your friends, call the fucking cops. Yeah, but, uh, get them out there now. Yeah, but unfortunately, she doesn't. <sighs> he got in the car and told her to start driving into the woods. She stopped near a clearing and Gerald got out, disappeared, and then returned with the girls. He ordered them into the back seat at gunpoint and Charlene noticed they were disheveled, dirty, bloody, and disoriented, but still alive. Oh my god. He ordered Charlene to hit the road as he assured everyone in the car that there would be no more violence. Everything was going to be fine. She kept driving on the freeway until they reached Slough House, a small farming community on the outskirts of Sacramento. Jerry had Charlene pull off, told her he was going to blindfold the girls and set them loose to make it harder for them to get back to the city. Turn up the radio all the way and don't turn around. She heard what sounded like a bunch of firecrackers before mm. Gerald came back panting and got into the passenger seat. Neither said anything for a minute. Then Jerry looked over and shouted, Damn it, one of those bitches is still wiggling. He mm. got out of the car. Charlene heard several more pops and a much calmer Gerald got back in and said through a smile, No more wriggling. And that is where we will pick it up for part two, oh, the stunning conclusion. That is horrific. Of it's the like... sex slave murders, Gerald and Charlene Gallagher. Is that like their little moniker, the mm -hmm. sex slave? Did they do interviews with either of them that are on like you can watch on YouTube and, and did some? I'm well, I'm going to have... check and see if there is and drop them in if there are. Okay. I'm guessing on part two, there's something very... Uh, poignant that sticks out that they said. I wonder if it's them or another one, but uh, this is fucking horrific, Adam. Hmm. This is 
so sick and fucking horrific. Yeah. Um, and we've only talked about two of them. Yeah. We it's have here, eight more to go. Oh, Jesus Christ. I wonder if it is the people I, I remember, but that guy in the video, I remember being interviewed, had a neck, so I don't think it's him. Mm. But uh, but it was a, a couple. You know what's so fucking weird is like, I know I've heard at least three other couples who do like this exact same shit. Yeah. It's so fucking. It's like the. It's up. weird how yeah. their energy feeds each other. Mm-hmm. Like one of them's not a willing that like well obviously is a willing participant but not mm-hmm. outwardly will. It's very strange. Yeah, people can be very strange together. Yeah, uh, obviously you have the Ken and Barbie ones. You have mm. uh, the highway or what am I thinking? We just talked about hillside stranglers. Mm. You had the toolbox killers like. Ugh. Yeah, I don't know. This is or just... toy box. No, there's the there's tool the toolbox and the toy dudes, box though, right? Wasn't weren't they both dudes? Yeah, I guess they were dudes. Uh yeah, the toolbox, the toy box. I forgot about that. The yeah. creepy, the like rapey Marlboro man looking motherfucker, and, and his... his like weird whore wife that didn't really want to be involved, <laughs> but still was. It was her and another girl involved, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we'll get to that one eventually. The most horrific shit. That's <laughs> I remember, a nightmare. I remember when you first heard that. That was like the one that always stuck out in your mind. Yeah, I still think about it. Yeah, that... and I've re-listened to it, and it's not as impactful as my memory of it. Huh. Like it's still fucking hard to listen well, to, but it's not like the first time I heard it where I, I was think, like, "Holy shit!" Think about it. You are three, almost three. No, you are almost three years deep in this son of a bitch. Yeah. You are pretty, you're basically like a police officer right now. Desensitized. Yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, that kind of comes with the territory. But yeah, great job, Adam. I Thank don't, you. I don't know if I've ever heard of these people before, maybe, but this is I had horrific. Not, I had not before I stumbled across them on the old interweb. Mm. And uh, there's a lot of stuff out there about it. And yeah, underreported on, I think. So yeah, I, it fits I clearly, our show. Very clearly. Man, this is a, this is a fucked up case. Mm. Yeah, agreed. Well, thank you everyone for listening. If you like it and are excited for part two, why don't you leave us a form submission at bumblebuttpodcast.com. Hell it yeah. comes to us like an email. It's Hell really yeah. great. While you're clicking around the website, feel free to buy a t-shirt. I almost said a television shirt. <laughs> feel free to buy a t-shirt and uh, really rep, rep, the bo- rep, rep, rep the hood. Oh, yeah. And another thing you can do, if you like us, is follow us on Instagram at BumblebuttPodcast and on Twitter at BumblebuttPod. And follow us on goddamn Spotify. And then go over to iTunes Mm. and leave a five-star or whatever star you feel is appropriate review. Oh, yeah. Should we read a couple of these? I think we should. Ooh, let's do this one. Um, uh... Second annual, or second ever, I should say. Uh, one star review. Let's we got to read it. They hate them because they ain't them mm. by Needles and Ink. Needles and Ink. Names names their podcast after a L-P-O-T-L joke, then proceeds to make fun of them. Okay. Well, thank you, sir, for that. I don't know what that means. I don't either. Uh, by calling them the most popular true crime podcast <laughs> and by moving uh, exclusively over to Spotify mm-hmm. to listen to all the shows, which I have done because of them, mm. uh, I guess we, uh, we hate them. Yeah, I, I guess that's it. Even Last though... podcast, I hate you. That's <laughs> I, what I'm... Needles and Ink thinks. <laughs> we were doing our number one rule. We never feed into the 
trolls. That's so. right. But uh, thank you for your review, Needles. Appreciate <laughs> And But we did get a five-star written as well, so thank you. Let's hear it. Great show by Xplant216. Mm. Hey, guys. Nice work. I appreciate your humor and the details on your subjects. You guys crack me up. I've joined Patreon and will continue to support you guys. You guys are killing it. Thank you so wow, much. Thank you, X-Plant. That's a beautiful review. I love that. Thank uh, you, you know what I like is the contrast. Mm-hmm. The shitty review, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, and then the good one is just that much sweeter afterwards. Let's let's take a moment to appreciate this is life in a nutshell. Ups and downs. That's Ups all and downs. It is. Ups, it's peaks it's and all, valleys. That's right. all we can do. Right. Absolutely. That's all we can do. Remember, if you're in a valley right now. It will peak one day. And be a hero. Mm-hmm. Join us on Patreon at oh, yeah. any level. You can go to patreon.com slash Podcast. whatever you feel comfortable with. We've got uh, a bunch of Patreon episodes and even more to come Hell yeah. probably uh, Maybe. in April, Hell I would yeah. say. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. Uh, we got a few new people to thank. Let me hear them. We need to thank Amy. Amy, thank you're you a monster. So much. You're a beast. And we need to thank uh, Terry, but we're going to use his Instagram handle, which is your pal TB. Your pal TB. Yeah, so give him a follow. Your pal TB. Oh, wow. Yes. I thought that for a while, I thought it was your pat alt B. <laughs> but no, that makes a lot more sense. Your, your pal. Your part B. Your pal. Pal TB. I uh, yes, yes, because uh, we're not going to say his full name, but obviously Wonderful. those are his initials. That's Thank fantastic. You so much. Thank you. You're a beast. Thank you, everyone that uh, even considers it for a second. Hell yeah, we appreciate it. All right, everybody, that's going to do it for all of us here this week at the Bumble Bumble Podcast. Uh, how about you tune in next week, and how about you turn in Wednesday for uh, Between the Bumbles? And uh, that's going to do it for me. My name's Adam, and that's going to do it for Cody. Thank you, Cody. Thank you, Adam. And thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next week, and have a nice weekend unless it's Tuesday. No Neck Tuesday. Mm-hmm. <laughs>